This episode is brought to you by Symphony, a global software design and product development firm with presence in the US, Latin America, and Europe. On September 8th, 2023, Symphony will be live streaming a webinar on searchfunder.com all about the technical due diligence process when acquiring a software company. The webinar will cover the most important trends that they've observed recently, potential landmines to watch out for, as well as a live case study that covers a real technical due diligence engagement for a previous client. If you want to attend this webinar, please do so by using the link that I've included both in the show notes as well as in today's episode description. Now, almost every SaaS CEO with whom I'm familiar will likely agree that the technical due diligence process is perhaps the most important work stream for any prospective software CEO to get right. And this is especially true for those like me who would classify themselves as non-technical. Symphony not only performs technical due diligence engagements for search funds, private equity firms, and strategic acquirers, but they also work with those companies to immediately begin executing on the problems and opportunities identified throughout the course of that process, as they do essentially everything related to product. This can include outsourcing your development entirely, augmenting your existing team, refreshing your UI, or professionalizing your QA operation, just to name a few. Symphony was co-founded by a Stanford GSB grad in 2007 and now has 700 full-time development, product, and design resources located across the globe, in addition to business and strategic resources from McKinsey, BCG, Google, and several private equity firms. For listeners of In the Trenches, Symphony is offering a full 15% off of any of their services, including technical due diligence engagements. Just go to the contact form on their website and tell them that you're a listener of the podcast. This episode is brought to you by Oberly Risk Strategies. Now, some of you likely know Oberly is the insurance brokerage and insurance diligence provider for the search fund community and has been trusted by search investors, lenders, searchers, and CEOs for over a decade now. The company is led by August Felker, himself a two-time successful searcher, both within the funded and self-funded models. He personally runs Oberly's dedicated search fund practice that works with searchers across the entire diligence, purchase, and post-close process. Their due diligence offering, which is 100% free of charge, by the way, will assess the pros and cons of your target company's insurance program and will summarize any potential coverage gaps, the pro forma insurance pricing, and the program structure changes needed for closing. At or shortly after closing, they will then execute on all of those findings on your behalf. In nine out of every 10 client engagements, they're able to either reduce spend or improve coverage, all in such a way that the searcher or CEO can focus on other things while Oberly handles all things insurance for them. Oberly has serviced over 900 customers across a decade of operation and has an NPS score that puts them at the top of their industry. But don't take my word for it. Click on the hyperlink located within the show notes or in today's episode description, and we will gladly put you in touch with as many happy Oberly customers as you'd like. Since their inception in 1984, search funds have largely targeted a very particular profile of company. Targets tend to be mature, enduringly profitable businesses with recurring revenue profiles, low capital requirements, and straightforward operations. 
These businesses are often still run by their founders, and these founders tend to be later in their careers, seeking retirement, or lacking a formalized succession plan. While this company profile continues to serve as a fruitful and foundational source of opportunities for search funds, I've observed that a new profile seems to be popping up with an increasing degree of frequency, particularly from prospective searchers seeking out new and creative ways to generate proprietary deal flow. In the audio blog that follows, I will refer to this emerging profile of company as the VC orphan. That is, a healthy and modestly growing company that has raised at least one round of institutional venture capital, has achieved product market fit, but has failed to produce the triple-digit growth rates and exponential scalability potential that's all but required for them to continue to command the time, attention, and capital of their VC backers. Might searchers also consider this very different company profile, in addition to that which has served as the foundation of the search fund investment vehicle over the past three decades? The remainder of this audio blog attempts to explore this question, presenting observations that both support and refute the thesis. It should be noted that I am no venture capital expert, to put it mildly, which may become quickly apparent in the paragraphs that follow. Indeed, countless others have likely forgotten more about venture capital investing than I will ever know. Accordingly, listeners are encouraged to scrutinize this thesis for themselves and know that all retorts and criticisms are welcome. Let's start with some observations that may support the thesis, and we'll begin with what I refer to as the other side of irrational exuberance. So at a high level, the thesis posits that prior to year-end 2021, the VC ecosystem had enjoyed many years of irrational exuberance, characterized by high levels of fund formation and investment activity, record levels of dry powder looking to be deployed, a flood of new entrants into the VC ecosystem, many of whom were of the less experienced and sophisticated variety, high valuations, and a seemingly never-ending sequence of uprounds. These dynamics, combined with the rather abrupt and acute reversal that began in 2022 as interest rates began to soar, may now have created a rather large universe of soon-to-be-orphaned VC-funded companies who, A, never should have sought out VC funding in the first place, or B, never should have been funded in the first place, or C, overraised, or D, are now worth less than the preferred shares in their capital stack, or E, are run by founders who no longer see a path to liquidity for themselves, or F, have good businesses but bad balance sheets, or G, are otherwise healthy and growing but not at the level that's to make sense within the very particular VC funding model. So on the surface, the following observations seem to coalesce in support of the thesis. First, it's been estimated that approximately 40% of venture-backed companies are now worth less than the value of the preferred shares in their capital structure. Not only does this mean that the preferred shareholders in these companies, i.e. the venture capitalists, would lose money if the companies were to be sold today, but more importantly means that the founders would get nothing for what was likely years of punishingly hard work. Second, this data point assumes only a one-time liquidation preference for VCs. So said another way, that means that VCs need to get only one time the value of their original investment back before the founders or other common shareholders are able to see a penny. 
The picture gets significantly bleaker when one considers that, according to a recent report by PitchBook, approximately 35% of venture capital deals done over the past three years had more than a one-times liquidation preference for investors. So that means that VCs need to get two to three times their original investment back before founders or other common shareholders are able to see a penny. Next, of the venture-funded companies who have raised more capital over the past 12 months, approximately 15% of them have raised money at a lower valuation than their previous round of funding, which is often referred to as a down round. And the further along the funding curve you get, starting with seed and moving from series A, B, C, and D, the greater the percentage of down rounds. Average valuation multiples have also trended steadily downwards across all stages since 2018. So for example, the average Series A valuation in 2018 was 14 times revenue, and as this is being recorded about halfway through 2023, the multiple has been roughly cut in half at 7.2 times. And you see a similar dynamic across Series B and Series C companies, which you can see in the written version of this blog post. The importance of the power law. The power law is a foundational principle in venture capital that describes how a very small number of investments almost always account for the very large majority of a VC fund's performance. Indeed, in most venture capital funds, one would expect only 10 or 20% of investments to generate approximately 90% of the fund's total return. Once it becomes clear which portfolio investments are likely to fall within the top 10 to 20%, and which are likely to fall within the remaining 80 to 90%, VCs understandably tend to dedicate the majority of their time, attention, and follow-on capital to the former at the expense of the latter. It is within this latter category that the potentially orphaned companies are likely to reside. Due to the unique characteristics of the VC model, orphaned companies are not necessarily experiencing financial or operational difficulties. Indeed, companies that are consistently growing revenues at 10 to 15% per year are often viewed as growing too slowly for the venture capital model, and as a result, tend to fall out of favor with their funders. In any universe outside of VC, however, search funds chief among them, consistent revenue growth of 10 to 15% per year sounds very attractive on the surface. While it's possible that these types of companies fail to execute in some fundamental way, it's equally possible that these companies simply never should have sought out venture capital funding in the first place. In today's entrepreneurial ecosystem, raising money from VCs is mistakenly seen as the first thing that one ought to do to get their companies off the ground. While VC is the right capital source for a small minority of companies, notably those who are likely to grow into an enterprise value of a billion dollars or more, it is decidedly the wrong source of capital for other companies who are unlikely to grow anywhere near that size, but are otherwise healthy and vibrant operations. If the founders of these companies see that they are unlikely to get any liquidity for themselves because the enterprise value of their companies has fallen below the value of the preferred shares sitting on top of them in the capital stack, then it's fair to assume that at least some of them might welcome the opportunity for a quick and orderly exit, which may allow them to pursue their next entrepreneurial project while they're still young and unencumbered enough to comfortably do so. Further, if the VCs who funded these, quote, slow growth businesses are now choosing to spend their time and money on the small number of portfolio investments that have managed to achieve exponential growth, 
then it's reasonable to assume that getting some amount of liquidity on these quote-unquote other investments could represent a palatable outcome for some of them. Now let's discuss some observations that may refute this emerging thesis. Everything that I've just reviewed above is not to suggest that attempting to acquire VC orphans is going to be an easy or straightforward process. It's likely to be quite the opposite. So first, the whole point of raising venture capital is to spend it, particularly in the pursuit of growth. As a result, most venture-funded companies are unlikely to be profitable, which violates a fundamental pillar of the search fund model. This is particularly true for earlier stage companies as they often rely on continuity and external funding and not operating cash flow to fund their day-to-day operations. Second, most orphan companies within a given VC portfolio aren't orphaned because they're growing too slowly but are otherwise healthy and profitable. Instead, the overwhelming majority have likely been orphaned because they never achieve product market fit, have bad unit economics, or are built upon a thesis that is fundamentally flawed in some way. Third, if the company in question is indeed healthy and growing, albeit modestly, but doesn't fit within the unique confines of the venture capital model, there are likely more appropriate capital partners for these types of companies than search funds. Growth equity comes to mind as a possible example. Number four, targeting earlier stage companies, let's say seed or series A, is likely to be problematic as those who have recently raised their first tranche of venture capital are unlikely to be mature enough, may still be far too founder-centric, and in many cases may still not have achieved true product market fit. For these reasons and more, they're unlikely to represent suitable acquisition targets for search funds. Number five, targeting later stage companies, let's say series B, C, and D, is likely to yield more mature companies that are less likely to present the particular problems that I just articulated, but the purchase price will almost certainly reflect that and will likely command a valuation well outside of the search fund norms. Number six, the true profitability profile of a VC-funded company may be very difficult to tease out. Even for those companies who demonstrate good unit economics, there is likely a lot of overhead spending beneath the gross margin line that obscures the true profitability potential of the company. These inflated expenses often reside within sales, marketing, development, and R&D, but not necessarily exclusively so. If the only way to bring a company to profitability is to lay off half of the staff after acquiring it, I'd suggest that a searcher, who's very likely a first-time CEO, is better off spending her time on other opportunities where such drastic actions are not required. Number seven, even if a founder of a VC orphan does want to exit, chances are that her board, i.e. the VCs, are in control of the decision of if, how, when, and to whom they sell. Most VCs are sophisticated financial professionals, and as a result, pulling the proverbial wool over their eyes isn't a very likely outcome. They may reasonably prefer to hold on to their portfolio companies to see if market conditions improve, to see if the company is able to pivot into a different and more lucrative line of business, or to receive a higher offer from a strategic acquirer, among other options. And finally, Number eight, while VCs are supposed to ardently adhere to the behaviors encouraged by the power law dynamics, many do not, particularly those whose funds are underwater. And I suspect there will be a greater percentage of funds underwater relative to historical norms, particularly for those funds that were mostly deployed between 2019 and 2021. These types of investors are more likely to choose to hang on to these quote-unquote slow-growth companies as they likely have fewer, if any, fund returners in their portfolio. 
So to sum it all up, while this thesis does present several merits, particularly at an intellectual level, it also presents several issues that are likely to challenge its effectiveness. I suspect that the vast majority of orphaned companies have been classified as such due to a fundamental flaw in their product, market, or business model, not because they're simply growing too slowly. With that said, due to the sheer number of companies that have sought out venture capital funding over the past five years, I have to suspect that some companies like those described above may exist within certain VC portfolios. However, the upside of uncovering them may ultimately not be worth the time, trouble, and volume of outreach required to do so. To be clear though, this isn't a thesis that I've seen tested with any degree of volume in the field, so it's still very much subject to the real world and common sense test. For this reason, I would encourage and welcome feedback from searchers who have actually pursued this thesis, if for no other reason than to better understand just how misguided my musings are. <laughs>